0: Julie Chen Moonvis uh, was interviewed recently from the Christian Broadcasting Network. And uh, for some of you that maybe don't know her, recognize her, she enjoyed a successful career as the host of Big Brother and a former moderator of The Truth. And Julie talks about, for the first 48 years of her life, she said, even though I was successful in the media industry There was something missing on the inside of my life. Um, I was ignoring God, running away from him, but, uh, she has since put her faith in Jesus Christ. This is what she says. We are living in dark times and it is in the darkest times, in the darkest situations that the light shines the brightest. It is the easiest to see the light. So many of us know that the only way we can wake up each morning with purpose is to have hope. And if you don't have God in your life, how do you live with hope? And so she kind of gives a little backstory on how she received Christ. She said in, in 2018, I put my faith in Christ. I never had a Bible, never owned a Bible. But I was gifted with one from a friend who was one of my favorite cameramen on the set. And that particular cameraman um, later became a pastor, which is pretty cool. But anyway, he helped Julie uh, establish her faith, and she found a good church. She said, I found the sermons easy to understand. And then she uh, plugged into the Bible classes that were offered. And by the way, uh, the Believers series, man, if you uh, haven't checked that out yet, You want to give it uh, an opportunity because, listen, in our culture today, there is so much information going around that really isn't biblical, and people kind of absorb that information. They think, well, that's what I heard over here, that's what I heard over here, and they kind of assimilate it into their life, and they think that's what Christianity is all about. Friends, you need to read your Bible, and you need to know what the truth is. And the Believer's Series does that very fact. they break that down, everything down, prayer, uh, the Bible, um, all the intricate things that are necessary to keep your faith alive. Um, Sunday mornings, is 9.25. That was a little infomercial there. You can start the tape again. Uh, anyway, that's just a heads up. I mean, you could plug in at any time. That's, that's the cool thing about it. Um, So anyway, she plugged into a church, and then she talks about the pandemic. Anybody remember the pandemic? Yeah, it's kind of like on the back, far back, as far back as we can go in our heads, right? We don't want to have any memories of it. But anyway, she said, I tuned into the short devotionals by Billy Graham, and I got involved with weekly Bible studies via Zoom. Remember Zoom? (laughs) The Zoom days, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, she reflected when the pandemic hit and I was at home all day. That's when I had the time to really dedicate to delving in to the Bible. And during this time, she said, my father died unexpectedly. And my mom was grieving and she decided to move in with me for six months. And she said, the two of us began to open our Bibles together, reading it and discussing God's truths. Isn't that cool? Yeah, man, you want to read it and you want to discuss it and you want to obey it and apply it to your life. And she said, that's when I really started to understand who God is and who I am and why I'm here and how he has blessed me all my life while I was ignoring him. Isn't that, we talked about the goodness of God moments ago in the song. We can ignore God, but that doesn't mean he stops loving you. And maybe you're here today watching online and you're, You've been in that whole process, man, of ignoring God, stiff-arming him. And you think you can get away, but God keeps pursuing you. And it paid off in Julie's life, where she finally relented. And that's what she's really excited about. She said, God provided a, a career so that I could get to where I am today using every platform and being a public figure and declaring Jesus my Lord and Savior. So one of the big things I've learned is to declare publicly who Jesus is to you or what he has done for you. I have to stand firm and say it loud and say it proud what he has done for me and who he is. She said, I hope people understand it is never too late to start your own personal, unique relationship with God. As someone who was at 48, thought she knew the world and knew a little bit about a lot of things in the world because of my journalism background, I was a newbie in my faith. And she says, we are here to have a personal relationship with God. That is our purpose. I just want to echo again what she said in the beginning. And I think it's accurate. I think if we took a poll this morning and drill down where we're landing in our world right now. She said, we're living in dark times. And it's in the darkest times and the darkest situations that the light shines the brightest. It is the easiest to see the light. So many of us know that the only way we can wake up each morning with purpose is to have hope. And if you don't have God in your life, how do you live with hope? Friends, I want to encourage you, if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, Today's a great day to do that. And we'll talk more about that as we go along. Julie Moonves really put her finger on the pulse of where our world is today. We're living in the darkest of times. And if we can move into where Daniel was living at the time, Babylon, it was a dark, occultic, pagan country country. You could say it was anti-God all the way, and yet Daniel, in the midst of that darkness, remained faithful in his commitment to Almighty God. Julie's talking about that same fact that, yes, our culture is on shifting sands, but we have an opportunity in this darkness to be the light of Christ. How's that working out for you? You, you, you can talk. How's it working out, man? Is it good? Yeah, man. God has positioned you in 2023 in this world, not just this cruise by, you know, put a wall around yourself and, and protect your mind and your, and your heart, but he's allowed you to be planted in this culture to make a difference and to be that light in the darkness. I man, what a privilege that is. So let's go to um let's go to Daniel chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 19. So if you have your Bibles you can just back up a few verses. That night the secret was revealed to Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, nightmare you could call it. It impacted him. He couldn't sleep. Wanted to have uh, his wise dudes uh, interpret it. And um Daniel, you know, his life was threatened. You know, if you don't know the answer, we're going to kill all the wise dudes. And Daniel goes back with his three friends and they pray. They pray. They pray. And that's where, really, it's a good place to go for all of us, isn't it? When we're in a difficult place, actually, it's every day the good times, the bad times, we pray. And and the Lord revealed that dream to Daniel, and he praised the God of heaven. He said, praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. He reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in darkness, though he is surrounded by light. I thank and praise you, God, of my ancestors. Once again, you've got to think how Daniel, was he just kind of monotone in this? No, I think he was very emotional. For you have given me wisdom and strength. You have told me what we asked of you and revealed to us what the king demanded. And then Daniel went to see Ariok, whom the king had ordered to execute the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel said to him, Don't kill the wise men. Take me to the king and I will tell him the meaning of his dream. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. And today as we walk through it, we'll see the future open before us. God, you know the past, the present, the future. You're all knowing. You know everything each one of us is thinking right now. And the reason is because you care about us. And Lord, as you walk Daniel through um, crises after crises in Babylon, he trusted you. And Lord, we ask for that for each one of us, Lord. You know what every person's going through right now. And we pray for Anne's sister and the children that lost a dad, a husband, that you would comfort them. In this time of need, in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, back to the future. We're going back to the future. You can see it on the slide. Uh, Daniel chapter two takes us back to the future. Uh, he's laying out in this chapter really um, for him future events, and um, he, re, he he shows us how. You can live in a culture without freaking out. You can live in a culture like this knowing that God has everything under control, that God is still on the throne. He's not going anywhere. Well, he's coming back one day. And that's pretty cool. But this is great information. Actually, more than information, it's... It's wisdom on how you and I can live daily in our world and make a difference. And when you look, you know, at world events, and uh, you would say we're living in the last days, you know, of, of all history. And you kind of see that in chapter two, when Daniel walks us through, and we see that God Himself was part of this dream. We'll get more into that in a few moments. But God injected himself in this dream to show that kingdoms come and go, but God's kingdom will never go away. His kingdom will last forever. And we have that promise. So when you look at Daniel, you know, as a 15-year-old young man, um, really kidnapped from Jerusalem, exiled to Babylon, taken away from his family. Everything he knew, everything, the culture, his friends, etc., it's all gone. Taken to a pagan country, the temple where he worships, had worshiped, all the valuable things were taken from it, and eventually the temple was burned. You don't get the feeling that Daniel was doubting God. Like, you know, as a teenager, I'm trying to figure life out. And all this bad stuff is happening. And I, I had my future written in my journal. And I've had to rip those pages out because there's no way this is going to happen anymore. You don't get the sense that Daniel is, is feeling sorry for himself, or he's pointing his finger at God and saying, God, that's not fair. I've been living for you as a 15-year-old. I've been faithful, man. I've been obeying my parents. been studying how to live for you, God. And this just doesn't make sense. You never, you never get a, a sense of that in Daniel's life at all. And so when King Nebuchadnezzar had this dream, um, the death sentence was set out for the wise men, and Daniel with, with the wisdom that he had from God told Ari, okay, give me, can we go to the king? He went to the king. Nebuchadnezzar gave him, yeah, I'll give you some time. Daniel comes back, he prays with his three friends, and during that night, God reveals the dream and the interpretation for that dream to him, which got Daniel all fired up and that 's where we read on the beginning here verses twenty through twenty three thanking God that he knows everything and he praises him, gives thanks for that and I think, man you know here we are in october we 're coming into Thanksgiving next month, always cultivate a heart to be thankful to God. You see that through this text. Daniel is thankful. So Daniel's all fired up. One, Daniel rings doorbells. <laughs> you know, with all the modern doorbells today, he would have got caught. You know, but, you know, being a young man, you just ring the doorbell and run away. Well, you know. They didn't have that technology back then, so he was good. And uh, he rang Arioch's doorbell, and Arioch answered, and he told Arioch, hey, I, God gave me the answer. Let's go to the king. Arioch walks him to the palace. Daniel rings that doorbell to Neb's house and has a conversation. And um, that's pretty cool. He's, and verse 25, I've found, Arioch says, one of the captives from Judah who will tell the king the meaning of his dream. How do you think Nebuchadnezzar felt about that? Number two, Daniel promotes his God, verses 26 through 30. The king said to Daniel, is this true? You're not messing with me, are you? Can you tell me what my dream was and what it means? I mean, Nebuchadnezzar was, he signed off on the fact that this dream would never be interpreted. He said it's hopeless because his his own dude said, yeah, we can't help you. That's why he put the death sentence out there. So he's, he's kind of, the light is coming back. Like, there's, is this true? And Daniel replies, there are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. But, there's that key word, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now I tell you, your dream and the visions you saw as you lay on your bed. You stop and think, what, what was going on? The, the Jews were, were in captivity. They were exiled into Babylon. You know, what? what, what is God up to? Why is he choosing to reveal the, the future to a king who is so ungodly at a time like this? You would think, the Jewish people would say, it's over for us. You know, there's no hope. We're, we're, we're exiled. God has signed off on us. We'll never be heard from again. But you know what? God wants to make known the future to you. Do you know that? There's this little uh, festival going on in town yesterday, today. And there's a business in town where they read your horoscopes and tarot cards, etc. Why? Because there, there is a hunger in people to know the future. But can I tell you, that is nothing but deception that's being promoted. Because God and God alone knows the future. And you can trust him. And a way of doing that is to read his word. And we know that biblical prophecy, God is telling us the future. And God uses Bible prophecy to show that all the other religions are a sham. Do you realize that? That's a way that God can prove that all these other religions out there, they're phony baloney. And that and when you when you drill down, you're gonna find out um no, there's no truth there. Isaiah forty one twenty one says, Present the case of for your idols. This is the Lord talking. You know, you guys push me out of the picture. You you're you're living for these idols, you know, these false gods. Let them show what they can do says the king of Israel, let them try to tell us what happened long ago so that we may consider the evidence or let them tell us what the future holds so we can know what's going to happen. Yes, tell us what will occur in the days ahead. Then we will know you are gods. In fact, do anything good or bad. Do something that will amaze us or frighten us. Okay, you piece of wood, do something. Ha! You know? What's a piece of wood going to do? These people worship the sun God, the moon God. They worship nature. They worship idols. And God is challenging them. You put your faith in these wood, stone, rock. Let's see what they do for you. Let them tell you the future. He's really mocking. God is mocking the idols. We see that the reason for Bible prophecy is so that people can realize that there's only one true God. That's why. A third of the Bible is full of Bible prophecy. And it's there to prove the the authenticity of, of God and his word, that you can trust him. Paul Benware put it this way. A believer who gets out of bed in the morning thinking, my Lord Jesus could return today will probably not let sin take root in their life. But Christians who rarely, if ever, reflect on the realities of the future life, the Lord's coming and the judgment seat of Christ, are far more vulnerable to temptation and sin. And perhaps that explains something of the sin and apathy seen in much of the church today. So what's, what's he talking about here? What's Paul talking about? He's saying there was a time when the church was always looking forward to the coming of the Lord. And he's going to come. We need to be ready. But he's saying, unfortunately, the church in America today has kind of drifted away from the excitement of Jesus coming back again. They figure, man, this is my world. Instead of thinking about heaven is my home and they get so attached to it they don't want to leave. And he said that's dictating how they live their lives, decisions they make, choices they make, lifestyles they get involved in. Friends, we need to keep (laughs) the thought that Jesus is coming. He can come at any time. And we need to be ready for him. So, number three, we see a picture of the statue, verses 31. So Daniel's drilling down here. He's, he's presenting uh, to Nebuchadnezzar what he saw. He said, in your vision, your majesty, you saw standing before you a huge shining statue of a man. It was a frightening sight. The head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its belly and thighs were bronze, its legs were iron, and its feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. So Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar the dream, let's take a look at this this statue. That's pretty cool, isn't it? How many of you have that hanging on your refrigerator? Huh? And you can see... um, the head is gold, the arms, silver, bronze, stomach, legs, uh, iron, and iron and clay down here. We're going to come back to this uh, artist rendering of, of this dream that uh, Nebuchadnezzar had because that's what it's all about. And, and really, as you work from top to bottom, it's going through the history pages. So all your history buffs out there, you'll see history relived before you. We're going back to the future. Which is pretty cool. And, um, so Daniel says, yeah, this, it, it's simple. There's a statue. There's four different metals. Um, th- and notice that statue is not doing anything. You know, it's not a, it's not a video of the statue running through the woods over the hills to grandmother's house. We go, is it? No, he's just standing there. And you'd say, man, that's pretty boring. Well, in a way, until you find out what the statue means. And um, you might think, well, how come, how come Nebuchadnezzar was so freaking out over this? This is just a statue that's not doing anything. Why? You know, and, and Daniel's not done with the dream yet. He's not done yet. Look at verse 34. He said, as you watched, talking to the king, a rock was cut from the mountain, but not by human hands. It struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing them to bits. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver and gold. And then the wind blew them away without a trace. That you know when I read that, without a trace, it's kind of, in a way intimidating, without a trace. You're here and then you're gone. without a trace. like chaff on a threshing floor. But the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole world, the earth. Suddenly, and this is where you can say, okay, now it makes sense why Nebuchadnezzar was losing sleep, because this rock comes out of nowhere and strikes the feet of this huge statue. And what it does, it's kind of like, it's got a nuclear... Detonator on it, so when it hits the bottom of the feet, boom! It's like getting cut out by the legs, man. Ah, uh, for you Packer Detroit fans Thursday night. If you watch the running back, you, you can't hit these guys high. You got to hit them low, right? Like below the knees. You guys don't watch football? You kidding me? Is that right? Where, where do you hit somebody? Below the knees, right? Yeah, you take them out. So, so that's what's going on here. God sends his rock. And it's just a rock. It's not just a rock, but it's really empowered by the power of God. It hits the bottom of the statue, and the statue crumbles from top to bottom. Boof, It implodes. That's what got to Nebuchadnezzar here. And so we see in verse 34, the rock was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. And, and when this rock, by the way, it's not, it's not gold, made out of gold or silver. It's just a normal rock. But here's the key, it's not made by human hands. It means it, it originated from divine power. In other words, God had something to do with this. Verse 34b, it struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing him to bits. And that was that. Verse 35, the wind blew them away without a trace. It's a powerful picture. For all the farmers here, of those of you that grew up on farms, this makes sense. Notice, um, interesting language here that Daniel pulls in. The wind blew them away without a trace like chaff on a threshing floor. This was, the culture of that day understood this. This was a good word picture. And, you know, for, for farmers, what they would do, they would, they would um, when they were threshing wheat, um, they, they would pound it, you know, with a, with a hammer. No, something bigger than that. And then they would, they would throw it up into the air and and the grain the wheat because it had weight to it it would fall back to the threshing floor and and the bad stuff would just get blown away by the wind it would take it all away all the waste would be blown away and daniel was using that imagery that's what god wanted to show and this dream shows when the rock hits the statue and it comes tumbling down, the gold, silver, bronze, and iron and clay, it, the, it hits the ground kaboom, and then it bounces back up, and the wind just blows it away. That's the imagery. Mm. So chaff, chaff, and Nebuchadnezzar's probably freaking out. I'm the statue. Where's this rock coming from? You know what nation's going to hit me when I'm not looking? That's what he was thinking. He figured he was the whole statue. He was king. Who's coming? Always looking over his back. You know, who's who's out to get me? But Daniel, number four, he describes this statue. He says, that was the dream, verse 36. Now we will tell the king what it means. Your majesty, you are the greatest of kings. Isn't that cool? Daniel's been exiled to Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar is <clears throat> got his thumb on him. And Daniel says, Man, I, I wish I wish you uh, would suddenly die somewhere. You know, you're evil. God doesn't like you. That's how some Christians think. But notice how Daniel he says. Your Majesty, you see the respect there? You are the greatest of kings. He, Babylon was the world power. But Dana, D- Daniel prefaces that. He says, The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. You see, it's not because you're so great and powerful, old Nebuchadnezzar, you know. Don't let pride get to your head. Let me just remind you here's a flare in the air. God of heaven has given you this power. You're in that position because God put you there. He has made you ruler over all the inhabited world, and has put this is. Hang on to this now. Even the wild animals and birds under your control. You notice this is where he ends up. You are the head of gold. In other words, you're not the whole statue, of Nebuchadnezzar. You're just the head. You're the gold part. But after your kingdom comes to an end, another kingdom. Inferior to yours will rise to take your place. I love it, man. Daniel, every opportunity he gets, he always submits to the authority of Babylon, but he always points to God as being the ultimate authority. Oh God, you are awesome. And I worship you. And I'll pray to you and I submit to your authority. Daniel was a man and he understood authority and the chain of authority we see in Romans 13:1 everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from god and those in positions of authority have been placed there by god that makes sense yes it's in the bible by the way it says all authority comes from god Proverbs 21, 1. The king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. He guides it wherever he pleases. See, God's in control. Jeremiah 25, 9. This is God speaking. I will gather together all the armies of the north under King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, whom I have appointed as my deputy. Nebuchadnezzar is God's deputy. I will bring them all against this land and its people and against the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy you. He's talking to his own people. And make you an object of horror and contempt and ruin forever. Why? Because we've talked about this. For 23 years, God had been sending prophets, prophets, prophets to Israel to return to him or judgment will come. And even just prior to Nebuchadnezzar coming on, God still presented the case that if you ask me to forgive your sin and you return to me, I will relent and judgment will not come. When you see the heart of God, friend, but when you keep rejecting God over and over again, there is accountability. There has to be accountability. So God is involved in the nations, and for that we are grateful. Notice then in verse 37b, but know this, given, Daniel said, God gave you this power authority. It's the same word that was used in chapter 1 when we see that Daniel 1, 2, the Lord gave him, gave Nebuchadnezzar victory. God gave Verse 9, chapter 1, now God had given, he gave the chief of staff. Verse 17, God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude, and God gave Daniel the special ability. See, Daniel's reminding Nebuchadnezzar, you're you're great man right now. You're a world power right now, but God gave it to you. And that's where we all need to land when we've experienced the goodness of God. God, it's because of you. And I thank you. It's not because I'm so wonderful. You know? And you try to pat yourself on the back. You ever try to do that? (laughs) It's tough. It's tough. We play the mind games and we think, oh yeah, man, we're so awesome. No, no, no. Um, Sometimes we need to look at um, the evil people that are in positions of leadership and authority. And we ask the question, why why does God let that go on? You know, like World War II, you know, Hitler and Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a pastor, part of the German underground to assassinate, planning to assassinate Hitler because he was killing the Jews. And why does God let that go on, you know? Sometimes we ask that question for leaders of countries, and maybe you are got an office oppressive supervisor you feel is so evil. God, why? I hate coming to work. <laughs> can, I, can I tell you why? Because God wants you to be that light with that oppressive supervisor. That's just a hint, but it's up to you. Why doesn't God just take this guy out and get rid of him? Can I tell you why? Because God has a master plan. God has a master plan. And he's always working. And he's got an ultimate. It's, th- this is so cool, man. God has an ultimate plan. And, um, and so uh, next, next Sunday, we will find out these five kingdoms that were part of that statue. So you have to come back. (laughs) Am I bribing you? No, 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 not at all, not at all. Um, But can I tell you that God has a plan for world history and God has a plan for you. And just like um, Julie Moonves, you know, after 40 years of running, pushing God away, ignoring God, God never gave up on her. And now she's being used by God, see, to tell her story about the goodness of God. That's why God had Daniel in Babylon. That's why he has you in the history of 2023 right here, right now. So that you can model the character of Christ to all of those oppressive supervisors. <laughs> C.J. Stroud. Some of you recognize that name. Played for Ohio State. Terrible place to play football, I know. But anyway, he's the uh, Houston, Texas quarterback, and uh, he showcased his faith last Sunday. In a press conference, uh, that was the first win of the season. He's 21 years old, a rookie. Um, You know, he suffered two consecutive losses in the NFL, which can be devastating. For a young quarterback, this is what he said I'm blessed enough to wake up every day and to walk, to talk, to smell, to interact with people, to play football. These are all things we take for granted on a day-to-day basis, but I try to do my best to thank God for all of that because his grace and his mercy, he laid his life on the cross for us, man, and I really believe it. Isn't that cool? He's using a public arena, man, to boast about the greatness of God and his relationship. Stroud, who identifies himself as a follower of Christ in his social media, media bios, has had his faith refined by the crucible of adversity from a young age. Now, some of you may think, well, you know, he's got an easy life. He's had an easy life. Let's find out. Born as the youngest of four children, Stroud grew up in poverty. His father's in prison for 38 years. Nevertheless, in the years since his father went to prison, Stroud has not only reconciled with his father, but he's also helped his family to survive. And this is what he said. So this is bigger than just football. And if I have to use football for my purpose to spread the gospel and the life of Jesus Christ, then I'll do it. And I think that's what God wants. What do you think? Is that what God wants? Yes, he does. Daniel... Identified with that. Julie Moonves, identified with that, friend. And as she said, it's never too late, no matter what kind of past you have, to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And this morning, man, I would would like to encourage you, if you're just waking up every day hopeless and saying this is a dark world and I don't know what to do, I don't know how I'm going to survive, Julie said you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And very simply, it's Jesus went to the cross to pay for my sin, your sin. He died in your place, in my place, paying my sin, your sin debt, in full, not partial. You don't have to earn it, try to be better. No, he paid it in full. It's a free gift. And Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. Yeah, he does. And so when you put your faith in him, He invades your space. And he gives you the power to live for him. You don't have to try. It's allowing him to live through you. Jesus, thank you for going to the cross, you can say. I believe you took my place. I believe you paid my sin debt in full. And right here, Lord, right now, I'm putting all my trust in you. Forgive me of my sin. And thank you for making me a new person from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. It's the greatest decision you can make.